From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Hello and welcome to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine. In for Patrick today, Monday the 19th of February 2024. And I'm delighted to say I've got a very full program for you today of high-level geopolitical analysis, which is what we do best here on The Patrick Henningsen Show. In the first hour, I'll be joined by Washington, D.C. foreign affairs correspondent Sam Hosseini to have a look at the latest case before the International Court of Justice, where a broader case on behalf of Palestine has been brought by more than 50 countries. This is the start of seven days hearings on the legality of Israel's six-decade-long occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. These proceedings are entirely separate from the genocide case brought by South Africa and come after the United Nations General Assembly voted in 2022 to request an advisory opinion on the occupation. We'll be getting more on that from Sanam Hosseini, as well as his position on the upcoming Algerian ceasefire resolution due to be tabled before the United Nations Security Council this week. Uh, the fears are, of course, that once again, 30,000 dead and 60,000 injured and mutilated is not enough for the United States, who, for all the occasional mild criticism of the genocide, seem determined to continue supplying Israel with weapons, money, and diplomatic cover. Also, today, towards the top of the first hour, I'll be joined by our absentee host, Mr. Patrick. Henningsen, all the way from Arizona after his exciting trip to Acapulco, where unfortunately the internet at Anacapulco prevented us from bringing as much live coverage as we would have liked of the uh, week-long cryptocurrency and independent media fest in the iconic Mexican resort town of Acapulco. That was all going on last week. But I'm pleased to say Patrick is now back, I believe, in the continental United States, international man of mystery that he is. And he will be joining us towards the end of the first hour for a discussion on what I can only describe as the world crisis. Because whether you're looking at the Middle East, Ukraine, the United States border, the borders of Europe, as well, of course, as uh, the Far East, the world is in crisis and we could do with some de-escalation. Everybody needs to calm down a little bit, but it seems that after the Munich Security Conference last week, Europe is heading in quite the opposite direction. The Finns are apparently opening more shooting ranges. It seems like they're taking the Dad's Army path to civil defence uh, as a result of a perceived greater threat 
from their neighbours in Russia. I'll be joined by Swedish geopolitical analyst Mats Nielsen to break down why Finland has suddenly become so paranoid about its neighbour when there are no territorial disputes between Russia and Finland at the moment and haven't been for well over a hundred years. The Munich conference ended with defence chiefs saying that Europe must spend more on war because if it doesn't then well even worse things will happen. I think it's worth pointing out to viewers and listeners that it's widely accepted that government spending on the military is one of the most inefficient ways of multiplying the economy as well of course as resulting in increased tensions. So I'll be getting Matt's views on the fallout from the Munich conference, the unfortunate timing of the death of Alexei Navalny from a blood clot. You can draw your own conclusions about that. But it seems that Germany have decided to impose fresh sanctions on Russia as a result of Navalny's death before any investigation or hearing or even the mere drop of a hat. Just simply the fact that he died and he died in custody is enough for Germany. Tearing up now 75 years of foreign policy which was devoted to peace with its neighbour following the death of tens of millions of people in the Second World War. The German-Russian friendship which had produced peace and prosperity appears to be in shreds and we have to ask ourselves, qui bono? Who benefits from the disintegration of Russian-German relations? Finally, towards the end of the second hour, I will be joined by star of stage and screen Phil Zimmerman to look at tomorrow's big demonstration outside the Royal Courts of Justice in the Strand, also known as the Old Bailey, where thousands of people are expected to turn up in support of Julian Assange, Britain's own political prisoner held at the behest of the United States and unless he's successful on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, he will soon find himself heading at high speed to IDX Supermax Florence, the most extreme penal colony in the United States. It is hoped, of course, that he will be released, that the judge will throw out the case or the very least allow him bail pending an appeal because there is no reason whatsoever why somebody who poses no risk to the general public and has not been convicted of any offence here in the UK, there is no reason why he should be held in solitary confinement in Belmarsh Prison, the modern day equivalent of the Tower of London. But that is where he languishes at the moment in extremely harsh conditions. The result of what can only be described as a political persecution. Things are moving in Julian's favour. We had the uh, Australian Parliament vote for his release. Does that cut any ice with the Americans? 
We'll find out. Not so far. Um, and I also have heard from my colleague Pelle Niroth-Taylor earlier today the suggestion that Julian may be released in order to illustrate the difference in how dissidents are handled in the West, where they're released, if indeed he is, and Russia, where Navalny, of course, died in custody. So, uh, I mean, I can't I can't see that happening, to be honest. I think that really is sort of genuine, uh, sort of positive conspiracy theory, speculation. But it has been suggested anyway that they're going to let uh, Assange go. Theoretically, of course, the judge is supposed to be completely impartial, but the uh, presiding judge is, I believe, a very close associate of the United Kingdom government, having represented the government as a barrister before his elevation to the bench. So um, on that score, he is in a long line of judges to have handled the Assange case, who have links to the United Kingdom establishment. We shall see. Anyway, thousands will be turning up tomorrow and I'll be getting the latest on the demonstration from Phil Zimmerman, who has been a long-time supporter and campaigner for Julian's release. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Sam Husseini, live and direct from Washington, for his verdict on the latest at the ICJ. We'll be right back after these messages. Putin said Biden would be a better U.S. president Is for there any reason Russia than Trump and dismissed concerns over his counterpart's age and acuity for the role. Um, so maybe he's af afraid of that label again of Russian collusion, Trump, Putin uh, and whatnot. But, you know, he's made the statement in the past that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, left or right, Democrat or Republican, once the president gets in. Um, men in black suits show up and tell tell him what to do. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. It sounds pretty good. It's it sounds like, real, it's dude. not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program today. Uh, Monday, the 19th of February. I'm Basil Valentine. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Sam Hussaini, direct from Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, Sam. Uh, first of all, we were just saying in the break there, um, it came as a surprise to me when I started watching this morning uh, and then did a little bit more research that coincidentally, and what an extraordinary coincidence it is, an entirely separate case uh, has been brought before the International Court of Justice 
on the legality of the occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. And I listened to some of the case being set out this morning, um, uh, you know, as to the various uh, violations of international law committed by the Israelis, the stealing of land, the building of settlements, the appropriation of water and other natural resources, the suppression of Palestinian culture. I mean, the list is is very lengthy and very clear as well that uh, that uh, Israel is in breach of of international law. And interestingly enough, the uh, lawyer that I heard representing what I believe is more than 50 countries, including the African Union, the Arab League and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, um, I, I don't know if that perhaps you can you can enlighten us. I, I don't know if uh, because the UN Assembly voted to request the advisory opinion, I'm not sure who the lawyers I saw speaking up for Palestine in court today represent, as it were. I, you know, it was very clear the other day that uh, the lawyers were representing South Africa. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if these lawyers are representing the General Assembly as a whole or just the 50 countries that are participating in the proceedings. Anyway, setting that aside for one moment, they were very clear that international law should be observed and indeed applied irrespective of any peace negotiations or political settlement. And uh, a lawyer I heard in particular this morning was citing other cases, including the Chagos and uh, cases in Africa, where although there is a political dimension to the situation, International law takes precedence over that. Um, and where the occupation is concerned, that would mean the dismantling of all the illegal settlements in the West Bank, the full recognition of Palestinian statehood with immediate effect. Now, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful? But if the ICJ came to that conclusion, what on earth happens next? It, it strikes me that in this in the case of this and the the genocide case, we're in the midst of something of a world constitutional crisis, Sam. Because Israel and the broader U.S. framework has operated so contrary, uh, so flagrantly against international law, and it's you know approaching a crisis point in so many ways, particularly with the ongoing genocide in Gaza. You know, I started writing intensively about the prospect of a country invoking the Genocide Convention uh, back in October. And one of the hurdles that that process had to overcome, um, I wrote uh, at least half a dozen pieces and tons of news releases on it. One of the um, hurdles that it had to overcome was people saying, well, hold on, there's this other long plan thing by the General Assembly uh, to get a um, uh, uh, to, to get a ruling on the illegality of the occupation as a whole. Um, and eventually, I think the South African delegation certainly came to the realization that both things could be done and should be done. Um, so um, th this will in all likelihood result in an advisory opinion, as you indicated, by the International Court of Justice. This would be similar to in 2004, people might recall, the International Court of Justice issued an advisory opinion against the wall 
that Israel was constructing through the West Bank. So this would be similar to that. The Genocide Convention case is at another level. In that case, the court is issuing orders to Israel saying it must do this and it must report in a month. Uh, now, that is also at a crisis point because Israel is clearly flagrantly violating the orders um, uh, that the court uh, issued so almost three weeks ago now uh, regarding, um, regarding Israel's violation of the Genocide Convention and the media the establishment generally has used it as a pretext to say, oh, that the word ceasefire wasn't in there. Well, the word ceasefire, many argued, have argued, many have argued persuasively, couldn't have been in there um, because Hamas isn't a party to the conflict uh, in the eyes of the ICJ. The ICJ only deals with states. Um, um, but I still do think that the ICJ could, I mean, they could, I think, at least theoretically, have said Israel must halt its um, its uh, uh, assault on Rafah, for example. The, South Africa went back asking for another order last week, and the ICJ on Friday um, uh, basically reiterated its initial order. And it, it provided some helpful language. I mean, it called it a perilous situation and so on. So, you know, the legal noose is certainly tightening, tightening around Israel's neck and quite possibly tightening around Israel's collaborators, the U.S., the U.K., um, and so on, uh, in terms of, at minimum, their complicity in this genocide. Uh, however, it's not clear if, you know, legal relief is going to result in an alleviation of the immediate enormous threats that the Palestinians in Rafah are under, the clear plans that Israel has to ethnically cleanse them into Egypt. Um, I, I mean, the MO of Israel is that Hamas is the pretext, gen complete genocide is the threat, and ethnic cleansing is the goal. Um, that's what they're after. Um, and so far, nothing has stood in the way of that, in spite of the protests and the legal actions and so on. In terms of, so there's, you know, this will continue for a, a, a week, um, the current advisory opinion on the illegality of the occupation. We're going to see some 50 countries. Uh, today we had Palestine, and we're going to see some 50 countries address um, the ICJ on this. But it really needs to get to a level beyond the talk talk that we see, we've seen from the General Assembly, that we've seen from the Arab League, uh, that we've seen from the Organization uh, of uh, Islamic Conference. It's got to get to the point of the General Assembly using Uniting for Peace to suspend Israel, for example, uh, to potentially um, set up a tribunal to go after individual Israelis, since the International Criminal Court is refusing to do its job which is to prosecute individuals for war crimes, including especially genocide. Uh, the corrupt prosecutor at the International Criminal Court is refusing to do that in spite of some occasional rhetoric. It's contemptible. Um, so um, the it, it's got to get beyond the talk. There could be a galvanizing force here, but it is exactly, as you say, sort of a global constitutional crisis. Will the rule of law assert itself meaningfully, or will the U.S. be able to continue to 
disregard international law completely. Unfortunately, uh, all the indications are that it will be the latter. It seems that the United States national security state uh, is frankly in contempt of court where the ICJ is concerned, simply dismissing South Africa's case with a wave of the hand, you know, uh, as being wholly meritless, was it? In terms of um, the time for talk being over, uh, I saw a huge meeting in Turkey at the weekend uh, where apparently, from where apparently, a humanitarian relief flotilla will set sail for Gaza, attempting to block, break any blockade uh, on the ports and uh, deliver aid direct to uh, people from the sea, because in northern Gaza they are starving, and in the rest of the country they are eating animal feed ground up into uh, strange sort of mud cakes. I mean, really, it's the most egregious situation imaginable. Um, meanwhile, today, the Red Palestinian Red Crescent has reported multiple bombardments near the Al-Amal Hospital in Khan Yunis, which, of course, significant damage to the hospital building. And uh, the latest from the Israelis themselves is that they're saying the major ground operation in Rafah will commence at the start of Ramadan unless all the hostages are released. But... Uh, at the same time, Netanyahu has been saying it doesn't matter if the hostages are released. We're going to launch the ground offensive anyway, uh, because, uh, you know, until Hamas has been completely exterminated, has become extinct, effectively. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that metric is measured. Uh, we are going to continue killing people. Um, yes, it, it's... You know, it, it, so, like so many times, this reminds me of the initiation of the U.S. invasion of Iraq, where uh, Bush couldn't get a U.N. resolution through authorizing the invasion. And then he said, Saddam Hussein's got to leave right away or we're going to start bombing. And then he said, we're going to start bombing whether Saddam Hussein leaves or not. Um, so it's a similar set of, um, you know, orders uh, being issued in this case by Israel, regardless of consistency or international law or, you know, simple rationality given their own alleged stated concerns for uh, the captives that Hamas has. You know, they were able to get lots of them out if they negotiated in good faith with Hamas. Um, they refused to do so. Um, and so they're getting killed quite most frequently at Israel's own hands. So their own stated goals of um, preserving uh, the captives doesn't seem to be an actual, an actual goal. They seem, as with their Hannibal directive, quite happy to, um, uh, to uh, let those people perish for a broader geopolitical, uh, for a broader geopolitical goal. Um, I'm sorry. There were there were there were several elements to to your. Well, no, it's it, it's okay. I mean, it it is such a multifaceted situation at the moment. Um, President Lula da Silva of Brazil, of course, came out of the weekend and likened what is happening to the genocide in World War Two, which didn't go down very well with the Israelis. He is now officially persona non grata, 
and cannot set foot in the state of Israel until he apologizes and retracts the statement. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Now, uh, uh, of course, but, but, the, the key... <laughs> Go on. Yeah, let, let me just address that. Uh, I mean, uh, um, Brazil and many other countries should be file, filing declarations of intervention in the South Africa case. The South Africa case is still pending. There's going to be hearing about it at the end of the month. Um, so countries like Brazil, like Colombia, um, should either initiate their own proceedings going after the U.S. and Britain and so on, as Nicaragua has threatened to do, um, or they should at least issue um, declarations in the South Africa matter to back up South Africa. Um, and part of the constitutional global constitutional crisis that you referred to, one aspect of that is for countries to juice up their um, uh, universal jurisdiction. Um, you used to have more of like, like Belgium, for example, used to have universal jurisdiction, and they actually tried to get at Israeli war criminals uh, using that. But the U.S. ditched it. The U.S. got Belgium to ditch it because it threatened to move NATO from Brussels, and so they had the uh, government in Belgium, you know, ditch their own law. Other countries need, to, like Brazil, need to have those laws, need to have universal jurisdiction, so that if actual war criminals uh, set foot in Brazil, Israeli, U.S., or otherwise, they could be apprehended. So, to, you know, to say that Lula is persona non grata in Israel is exactly backwards. It should be quite the contrary. It should be Israeli officials who fear setting foot in other countries that should be having universal jurisdiction at this point. Yes, uh, whether or not they're arrested, um, I, I can't help thinking that Israeli officials visiting the UK at the moment would be met with uh, huge protests. I think it's worth reiterating that once again, uh, around cities across the world, there were huge pro-Palestine, pro-ceasefire, pro-human rights, pro-peace demonstrations, uh, and that the overwhelming majority of the world's population, including in the United States, demands an immediate ceasefire. But it looks as if that is going to be vetoed by the United States this week at the Security Council. I gather the Algerians are proposing another ceasefire resolution. So just quickly two uh, sort of key interlocking points really, because uh, you know, it's often said and quite rightly so that you know, there's, there's no distinction between the US and Israeli positions for all the occasional word coming out of the White House about uh, Israel having gone over the top in massacring 30,000 civilians uh, nevertheless, is still supplying the money and the weapons and all that, so it doesn't actually mean anything. Um, so, nevertheless, um, Blinken has said uh, that he supports a Palestinian state. And David Cameron, the uh, UK Foreign Secretary, has talked about uh, recognising a Palestinian state independent or prior to any negotiations with Israel. Meanwhile, Bezalel Smotrich, uh, the extremist, one of the fascists in the Israeli government, said uh, at the weekend, uh, I call on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to explicitly announce that unilateral measures will be met with unilateral measures and faced with any unilateral step taken against the state of Israel, 
It's interesting that he regards the recognition of the state of Palestine as being an action against the state of Israel. Israel will act unilaterally to cancel the Oslo Accords, completely and immediately stop all funds transfers of the Palestinian Authority and completely dissolve the Palestinian Authority. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say, uh, Sam, is that there is a collision course between even the hardline Israel supporters, the United Kingdom and the United States, and Israel itself, when it comes, if not to the question of the immediate ceasefire, I expect the UK to abstain and the US to veto it, um, then uh, there is with the establishment of a Palestinian state, which seems to be back on the agenda. Um, and, and yet, obviously, as we know, uh, the Israelis, not just Netanyahu, but his entire cabinet. And I saw an article in the New York Times at the weekend saying, Israeli society is too traumatized, too traumatized for there to be a Palestinian state right now. I mean, you know, where do we go from here on this score? Yeah, a couple of things. One, you're correct that Algeria is finally going to be putting forward a resolution at the UN Security Council, in part based on the South African case at the International Court of Justice. Uh, we could see a US veto tomorrow um on that uh this would be i think at least to the third u.s veto uh preventing the ceasefire um uh, at the security council what should happen at that juncture is that the general assembly should then seize control of the matter using the uniting for peace process and start initiating actual actions suspend israel from the general assembly admit palestine as a full member it's right now only um, an observer uh, member at the General Assembly, and they can also set up a tribunal, um, uh, as the Security Council has done in the past, to go after individuals. Those are three concrete things that other states can do, regardless of what Israel and the United States um, say. So this really is a test of will for the Brazils, for the Russias, for the Chinas, for the Indias, uh, for the Indonesians, for for the Malaysians of the world, are you going to step up and you know get some intestinal fortitude and actually start using the legal instruments that you can to stand up to the U.S. and Israel, as South Africa did at the International Court of Justice quite well? Mm. Um, so that that's a very concrete thing that can and should happen after this anticipated uh, latest U.S. Um, U.S. veto. Um, another aspect of this with regards to the advisory proceedings that are happening at the International Court of Justice this week, it, it, underlying it is that it is unstated, that at least they won't state it directly. I, I asked them about this twice at the uh, State Department um, a couple of months ago, and they have not called on me since. Uh, after I raised this issue, uh, I raised the issue of does the United States recognize the Geneva Conventions as applying to the Palestinian occupied Palestinian territories? And their response was, um, our position has not changed on that. By which they actually mean, I suspect, that our position is the same as the Trump Pompeo position. It had been longstanding U.S. policy um uh that the geneva conventions did apply uh since the, the carter uh 
Vance uh, administration. Um, and um, then Pompeo reversed that, saying we no longer recognize the Geneva Conventions as applying to the Palestinian territories. And I suspect actually that's, you know, th th there's insider speak, I call it, like when the US establishment says things and people think that it means something, but it actually means something else. So when the US establishment says Israel has a right to defend itself, what they're actually saying is that we don't recognize the Geneva Conventions. Because under the Geneva Conventions, an occupying power does not legally have a right to defend themselves. They have a, a, a right to uh, ensure uh, you know, stability and law, but they do not have a legal right to defend themselves as Israel is an occupying power um, in Gaza and the West Bank. So this is their backhanded way of effectively saying we do not recognize the Geneva Convention. I believe that's actually the actual U.S. position. It's in direct contrary stance to upholding international law. It's a direct assault on the core principles of international law. Scary stuff, Sam, is the only way of describing it. The United States, along with Israel, are firmly in the rogue state category. Um, it's going to be a fascinating week. We can only uh, hope for international law to be applied. Um, anything you care to add before we finish this segment, Sam? Well, I think that a great deal, these are all interlocking things. The activism that you see on the streets globally that you alluded to, the popular will, the legal avenues are just simply one way of them manifesting themselves. You obviously have what Hezbollah and um, uh, the Yemenis are doing, um, effectively invoking responsibility to protect um, in furtherance of the stated will of the General Assembly of the United States of the United Nations, 150 countries, um, saying that they want to cease fire. So um, it, 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 it's still undetermined. And I think people just simply need to pressure all of the players to push themselves to the maximum capacity, uh, unless they're just going to have this sort of Damocles of the United States being able to go after anybody that it wants. Sam Hosseini, thank you so much for joining us today on today's news talk from Washington, and we look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Benz. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, our intrepid host, Patrick Henningsen, has been in Acapulco, but where is he now? We'll find out and we'll get more on the global constitutional crisis after these messages. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. State propaganda media has once again outed themselves as pure partisans, just parroting the party line with their criticism of Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin. Carlson gave a pretty hard-hitting interview called Putin out on the Wall Street Journal reporter that is in custody saying that he should be released having that conversation but more importantly getting Putin's perspective on the Ukraine war and why he chose to initiate it that's called journalism 
Yet none of our journalists seem to be the least bit interested in committing journalism. They're more interested in calling for Tucker to be arrested on the tarmac when his plane returns to the United States. It's absolutely disgraceful how these people claim the moral high ground when they're nothing more than moral midgets. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Prediabetes does. One in three adults has prediabetes, but with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one-minute prediabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. And welcome back to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Patrick Valentine, in for Patrick today, Monday, the 19th of February, 2024. But just to confuse you further, here is Patrick himself joining me from an undisclosed location in the Western Hemisphere. Great that you can join us, Patrick. I'm great, uh, Basil. How are you doing? I'm in Mexico City at the moment at the Plaza del Revolution, uh, if that's pronounced correctly in Spanish. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, very successful week at uh, Anarchapoco Conference, a meeting of the minds, uh, especially the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin community. A lot of anarchists down there, uh, a lot of incredible uh, speakers, a lot of knowledge being passed around. Uh, so we're privileged uh, to be able to attend that and be able to talk and present uh, run workshops, panels, etc. It was absolutely packed the the entire week. Yes, unfortunately, the one thing that was missing appeared to be a stable and strong internet connection because we weren't able to do <laughs> as much live streaming as we'd hoped. But uh, perhaps that'll be put right for next year when uh, yeah. TNT may well have a greater presence because uh, next year the oxygen in the room will not be taken up by the case of Julian Assange, which is very much uh, on the agenda this week. He's due in court tomorrow morning. Um, I'm not sure yet. and I don't know if anybody knows whether he will appear in person. They've tended to keep him in Belmarsh and only allow him to appear by video in a further derogation of his human rights. So it's to be hoped that he's there himself tomorrow uh, and Wednesday, if it lasts that long. Now, here's a conspiracy theory for you, but a sort of positive one. Uh, I was talking to our very own Pelly Neroff Taylor earlier today, who said that a little bird had told him that Assange might be released in order to illustrate to world opinion uh, the difference in the way dissidents are handled by the West and by Russia, with Navalny having died in custody uh, last week. If Assange is released, then uh, the United States can claim some sort of propaganda coup and say, look, we, we, you know, we don't persecute dissidents here in the West, let alone kill them. Um, we've let him go. I, I personally can't see that happening, Patrick. What do you think? Well, first of all, on on the issue of uh, whether he'll physically appear in court or not, um, this is a, a sort of tactic that the uh, British did previously. 
uh, bringing him in on uh, video leading so he wouldn't be showing up at the uh, magistrate's court in Westminster or the Crown Court uh, in Woolwich, just uh, adjacent to Belmarsh Prison there, which is, uh, by the way, a supermax uh, prison. He's being held in a Category A uh, facility, even though he hasn't been convicted of any crimes or anything like that. So that that in itself is completely unprecedented. Literally, Osama bin Laden uh, probably got more favorable, uh, you know, would have more favorable incarceration terms uh, than than Assange. Um, but, uh, you know, on the issue of uh, how they're trying to contrast this uh, with the story of Alexei Navalny, uh, you know, they they could release him on, uh, you know, ankle bracelet, um, you know, kind of on remand waiting to be extradited to the U.S. Um, I, you know, I really doubt I'd be surprised anyway if the U.S. dropped um, they would have to drop the extradition case or the Britain would have to actually uphold its extradition treaty, which legally means that it cannot extradite political prisoners. And this is the whole point of the Julian Assange case, uh, is that he is, it's proven that he's being held as a political prisoner uh, because of what the United States has done, what the CIA has done, what Mike Pompeo, Pompeo has done uh, during his uh, tenure uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, cabinet and so forth. What, what they did to persecute Assange, uh, to spy on his legal team, uh, to take his legal documents from him on multiple occasions, inc including during the uh, the hearings at Woolwich Crown Court, uh, which took place uh, in early 2020, which, by the way, were totally derailed on March uh, 17th by you know what, the secret uh, surprise virus uh, derailed the entire, uh, you know, Julian Assange uh, effort uh, to squash his extradition case. They had expert witnesses lined up to come to Woolwich, including Noam Chomsky uh, and many others. So that's what happened back in 2020. So he was abused, uh, you know, all along the way, abused by the system, uh, not given access to his legal team. I mean, every type of violation of right or due process, it's happened uh, in the Assange case. And that's the most extraordinary thing about this case um, is that there's been so many violations. Um, there's so many affronts to so-called Western uh, values or, you know, whatever the rules-based uh, order uh, is putting out in terms of, you know, how it treats its own dissidents. Uh, and to compare it to Navalny, and they're all making a meal out of this right now. In the US, they're using the Navalny uh, story uh, in order to push through uh, aid to Ukraine uh, to, you know, protect or, you know, honor the legacy of Alexei Navalny, which Americans call the opposition leader of Russia. Uh, he was never the opposition leader of Russia. Um, and, you know, anybody that would go against Putin would probably be taken in uh, and uh, elevated to you know new heights uh, in the eyes of washington uh and its allies uh in terms of you know pushing back against what they think is the dictator in moscow uh same old story uh so yeah i don't think it's a very apt comparison uh basil uh what happened to navalny this would be uh, subject to mm, a lot of speculation um investigations uh certainly if there's any foul play uh that should be uh, looked at seriously uh and you know the us i don't know what they can do in terms of sanctioning russia probably not much um but maybe there's other factors in play as was the case with uh sergey magninsky uh which is uh, the former lawyer or accountant uh for bill browder uh who's a sort of champion of uh the anti-russian uh column uh, of the west 
um, and they named the whole package of sanctions after Magnitsky and, you know, lionized him uh, after his death and uh, turned him into a real martyr uh, for the cause of toppling the regime in Moscow, as they call it. So, uh, again, this is just another uh, episode of this sort of mad political uh, international drama that's played out uh, now in the new Cold War, which is getting a little bit too warm for a lot of people's uh a lot of people's uh, preference, uh, Basil. Yes, uh, the lionization of Navalny following his death is quite extraordinary. I mean, I just did a little bit more research into him. He was a marginal figure, anything but the leader of any sort of, you know, powerful opposition, garnered the support of only one in 50 Russians, um, regarded as... Uh, an outsider, uh, okay, fair enough, but uh, a proto-fascist as well, with hardline xenophobic and anti-Islam views as well. Perhaps in the current climate, that's why he's been lauded so much. None of that, though, nor the fact that there's been no investigation, let alone a conclusion yet, into why he died. He died of a blood clot, apparently. Well, there are a lot of those about at the moment, aren't there, Patrick? That's all mm. I can say. Not a blood Interesting. Clot, you know? So, so thrombosis, you know. and yes, it's the uh, yeah, lot. Uh, side effects to certain pharmaceutical products. Um, but again, where there's a lot of going to be a lot of speculation, and uh, there should be thorough investigations, uh, both on 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 the Russian side, and if the West are able to ascertain anything on their end. Uh, certainly, that would be extremely uh, interesting. But, you know, uh, the other thing about uh, these Russian dissidents is, um, you know, uh, Litvinenko is a perfect example. Alexander Litvinenko, former FSB uh, agent, uh, allegedly poisoned by the Russians with polonium, uh, a radioactive substance, uh, died uh, in, in the UK. Um, there's been a lot of criticism though on that official story uh not least of all from his own family uh Litvinenko and so it does beg the question Basil um with such a high stakes game of international intrigue uh tradecraft uh and literal wars that are being fought uh that could determine you know the let's say could determine the viability of something like NATO uh, going forward, uh, or borders in Europe. This is a very high stakes game. Um, and I'm not uh, positing that this has happened in the case of Navalny. Certainly, I'm not positing this. But I will say that throughout history, um, certain figures, um, you know, in terms of in the Cold War, for instance, in order to make a symbolic uh, story or to uh, cast the other side uh, with derision, uh, and hate uh, that someone could very well be assassinated uh, by the side that allegedly supports them. Uh, so, you know, the, this has happened for in history, um, and I'm not saying at all that this happened in this case, but historically there have been cases like this uh, where someone has been assassinated in order to create um, some international tension and increase the case against one country by another or from the West and the in between the West and the East. So this is just food for thought uh, when we're talking about high value, high value figures uh, in this game of international chess. Yes, going all the way back to the assassination of Archduke Franz Joseph in, in Sarajevo in 1914. So 
Yeah. Perfect uh, example. Yulia Navalny vows to continue her husband's fight and says Putin killed him. Uh, yeah. And the Germans, including this, you know, originally elected as a Green. Now, the Greens were supposed to be sort of, you know, the most left-wing, progressive, pro-peace party in Europe. And yet the German foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, uh, appears to be one of the most sort of hardline warmongering out there and has said already that Germany is to propose a new batch of sanctions over the death of Navalny before we've even had the results of an autopsy. We have seen the brutal force with which the Russian president represses his own citizens who takes to the streets to demonstrate for freedom or write about it in newspapers, said Annalena Baerbock. We will propose new sanctions in the light of the death of Alexei Navalny. I mean, this is undoing 75 years of painstaking diplomacy between Germany and Russia uh, in order to avoid a repeat of the horrors of the Second World War, which saw tens of millions die. Uh, and it seems like all that has gone in the bin uh, uh, the drop of a hat. Basil, what you just said is just perfect a perfect example um, that a, a tragedy like this, uh, an incident like this, uh, you know, it seems when the Europeans are wavering on sanctions, they're wavering on Ukraine, uh, the public have had enough, the politicians are getting a little bit shaky uh, with elections coming up and just made to order incident uh, like this, a tragedy that they can use uh, that Washington certainly will use to further browbeat uh, its European uh, stooge partners uh, into uh, maintaining their position uh, in the great fight, uh, creating that European front line that Washington and London love to push other countries up against Russia when they're safely on the back line, uh, if you just consider the geography of it and the history of it. Uh, has it been the first time that certain anglo-american interests have spun up a major war uh hmm i don't think so basil i don't think so uh is that what's happening here well some might say some might say of course we're not saying that but we are saying maybe it's possible so there you are i'm hedging you know i mean the main thing is that in all these cases when there is an increase in international tension the diplomacy should be ramped up. Simple as that, you know, more jaw-jaw and less war-war. But the Munich conference ended yesterday uh, with a call for Europe to start spending a lot more on weaponry. Uh, apparently, you know, um, there is some threat from the Russians that they're going to start invading the rest of Central Europe unless we all spend a lot more money on the war. It's absolutely insane. Uh, I do want to do a quick pivot finally to, uh, I was very surprised this morning when um, I tuned into X and our good friend and colleague Craig Murray directed me to watch the proceedings at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. Uh, where, of course, entirely independent of the case brought by South Africa, uh, a long-standing case being brought by the General Assembly itself uh, to request an advisory ruling on the occupation got underway this morning. I don't know if you've managed to keep abreast of that at all, but uh, it, it set out the dozens of violations of international law and basically said that 
in advance of any political process, international law has to be respected. And that would mean the complete dismantling of the occupation. I'm afraid to say I think that's wishful thinking, but it is extraordinary that this has come at the same time as the ICJ genocide case and increases the political pressure, not just on Israel, but on, on the United States and UK as well. Haven't we been talking about this, Basil, for what, weeks now? Uh, as soon as the uh, South African uh, uh, case was heard, we saying, you and I have had this conversation, the violations are just being filed. The case file is just getting bigger and bigger with each successive day. And I'm going to argue, Basil, and I know you probably agree with me on this, uh, the war crimes that are being perpetrated right now as we speak uh, by using Rafa uh, in, as, as the new sort of front uh, which the Israelis are doing in order to force ethnically cleanse under the threat of genocide uh, an entire people into Egypt. Uh, arguably, uh, they've accelerated the war crimes. They've stepped it up a level. Instead of pulling back, they've doubled down and going going forward with an even more insidious agenda. That's what's happening, Basil. Question is, what's the international community? I'm talking about the, the G7, the international community, the West, Canada, the US, Britain, Australia, Western Europe. What are they going to do? What are they going to do to stop the greatest war crimes of the modern era? That's the question. Yeah, I think the extraordinary thing is if you'd wound back to October the 8th and with a crystal ball had been able to say on October the 8th, by February the 19th next year, there will have been only a very short pause for the exchange of hostages in November. But between October the 8th and February the 19th, 2024, 30,000 Palestinians, including 13,000 children, will have been murdered. Most of Gaza turned into rubble and a million and a half people would be crammed into Rafa, starving and under immediate threat of ethnic cleansing. I think on October the 8th, we would have all said, no, no, that's going too far. And surely the international community would have intervened by this point, surely. The Americans would have said, no, that's, you know, we've, 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 we've had enough of this. Thank you very much. But it seems like there is no limit to what the United States will green light, irrespective of international law. Absolutely extraordinary. It is. There is no limit, Basil. We're reaching uh, uncharted territory here. How are they going to walk this back historically? What's this, what's this going to mean? It's a very profound situation, Basil very profound in history. Ye yes, I've described it as a world constitutional crisis uh, because uh, it's uh, rogue states of Israel, the United States and the United Kingdom against the rest of the world. And push is going to come to shove very, very soon. Patrick, great that you could join us. Have a great time there in Mexico City. I gather you will be back in the hot seat tomorrow. Indeed. Thank you for uh, your help as well and your work, Basil. You've done a fantastic job sitting in for us. It's so much appreciated.